0: Um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. And I do want to say hello to anybody who's watching online, if you're streaming it live or if you're watching later. Uh, I specifically wanted to say happy Pride Month. Um, so it's, it's June. I, I missed this last year. I, I, I failed to acknowledge Pride Month. Last year, because the entire world was a giant dumpster fire, and I was distracted and just forgot. So I apologize about that last year, and I did want to acknowledge uh, for the, those those who are watching online or who um, who are in the room who have um, who, friends, relatives, um, people who are close to them who um, have are LGBTQIA and identifying this way, or who are who are the, who who are who identify in, in one of these ways, or who um, I. I'm not wording this very well, or who who care about somebody who identify as LGBTQIA. Uh, I just wanna say we, we hope that this has been a place of respite and grace and love for you, and um, we, we thank you for for tuning in and being a part of this with us. So uh, it is kind of fitting today we're talking about love, like that is that is the subject that is on the table, no, spoiler alert, that's, that's what we're talking about in just a second, but it's fitting that we're talking about love on the first day of Pride Month, or the first Sunday of Pride Month, um, and because that is, these ideas all seem to connect pretty seamlessly. Um, so the thing about love as an idea is during my season of total deconstruction, which we we, we talked about before how this whole series has been kind of a um, a record of my own deconstruction and my own kind of dealing with um, when when I and the metaphor I, I, I like to use is like if you had an empty, or a room full of furniture and, and just junk and you had to like pull everything out and decide what goes back <laughs> in like what are the things that go back in what are the things that need to just get Tossed out? What if like, and maybe maybe you have some structural issues, like Courtney and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Like, um, like maybe it isn't just the furniture. Maybe it's like you've got like termites in the in the walls, and you just like strip everything out. I don't know exactly how far to take this metaphor before it stops making <laughs> sense. Um, but if if you have if, if you had to sort of deal with like sort of the mental like how you arrange your mental furniture, and you had to take everything out and put it all back in, yeah, you know like how like how much there is in there, and how much you've had to sort of deal with. And I remember for me like when, when I was at my lowest and when I was at my, just trying to figure out like years and years ago when I was doing my really initial, like full on, like maybe nothing is true, maybe nothing I've ever believed or thought uh, is right. I remember very specifically that love was the first thing that went back in, that love, love was the first item that, that I decided like, oh no, no, like I, I realized like a lot of the stuff I still have to deal with and I still have to wrestle with and I still have to decide whether or not it stays or goes or whether it deserves a more or less prominent place in the room. But I remember very specifically thinking like, okay, what Jesus has to say about love and grace and like specifically like how we, how we treat other people, like that feels like it needs to stay. Like that feels like, that, that feels like a, a crucial part of what this is. And, um, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about Micah chapter six, um, and we won't look back at it because we just, there's already a lot of ground to cover. But in Micah six, Micah, this prophet Micah is doing his own kind of deconstructing. And Micah is saying like, are these the kinds of things that please the gods? And he starts listing off different like sacrificial items and different things that people do. And he says, actually, what and what, I'm, what I've kind of come to realize is like none of that stuff matters nearly as much as I thought it did. And what really does matter, and he lists off these three things. He says to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He said these are the these are the things. Like when I'm when I'm rearranging my mental furniture, these are the things that have to go back in. And uh, so we're kind of doing like a mini series inside of this other series where we're talking about those three things. And we talked about justice already, and a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, he, he talks about love mercy and. Mercy and justice kind of go hand in hand. Um, so today we're specifically going to talk about love and when we're rearranging our mental furniture and what does it mean for us to to remind ourselves that love is this thing that really, like with, without it, what what is the rest of it even for? Um, and the thing about the word love, as, as we talk about it, it has come to, because because of the limitations of the English language, it, it has come to sort of mean like everything and nothing all at the same time, because it, it's it's not a like... Um, we got some educators in the room. Y'all can appreciate this. It's not unlike the word literally, um, right? Because there, there is uh, there's a comedian named Gary Goldman who has a great bit about how like literally has, has come to mean its own opposite, which is like it, it like people use the word literally to mean figuratively. Like because the word literally is supposed to mean without exaggeration, right? And but because of just sort of like common usage, it has come to mean with full exaggeration and so it it has come to be like say what hyperbolic yeah it's become hyperbolic and so it's it it has become like its own opposite like it has become a word that means its own opposite which is bizarre and so um in fact i remember several years ago i was at a i was at a conference and there was this really famous writer giving a talk and the talk was very good but i I will like the the thing i will it's it's really a shame the, the thing I most took away from the talk was the writer told this story about like an encounter she had. I didn't mean to use her pronoun. I'm so sorry. I, 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 was, I was trying to keep it as ambiguous as possible. Um, an encounter that they had, and um, and, and, and shoot, it's, it's too hard to do that now. Uh, no, no, no. So anyway, the writer mentioned like that there was a person like something like crazy happened, and there was a person across the room, and the person across the room was so amazed that the thing happened that. It, it, they, the the writer said, and that person's jaw literally hung to the floor. <laughs> and, I, and this this is a published, regarded writer, and I wanted to like stand up in a room full of hundreds of people and be like, no, you stop, <laughs> bad writer. That is not that, that is you you know better. You should know better that person's jaw was figuratively hanging to the floor, literally was probably open about to like the middle of their neck. Right? <laughs> but I, obviously I didn't do that. But the thing is, again, because, and so we have this word that means a thing, but also because of common usage, it's come to mean lots of other things that it that didn't originally ever mean. And like, if, if, if you are among the people, if you out there watching are among the people, who, like please don't feel ashamed if you use the word literally in this way. It's wrong, but feel free to keep doing it. You can say it, don't write. Yeah, you can say yeah. Don't don't write it down, like, especially not in like a like an like a paper or something like that. Don't don't put your English teacher through that that trauma. So but, but the word love is all, is sort of very similar because we have we have this word and we use it to describe lots of different things. And and, and again, it's it's the limitations of the English language because in Greek, the language of the New, of the New Testament, there are multiple words that all get translated to love. So you have a word that could mean like the love you feel for your family, but you also have the love that you feel like romantic love or you, the love that you feel for like things that you just have a high regard for. And so they all sort of get translated into love. Whereas in English we have the one word, we have the word "love," um, and, and so it—it it does a lot of times it feels like it doesn't mean that much anymore because it feels like I'm using. I, I, if I can use the same word to describe how I feel about my children, that I and, I and use that that same word to talk about how I feel about Wingstop, it feels like maybe we've got some limitations on our hands that, that we probably need to broaden our vocabulary. But again, that's, that's the limitations of the English language. So. Uh, One of the things when we talk about love, when we talk about when Jesus talks about love, the question we're going to be asking is, okay, when Jesus talks about this, what exactly is Jesus describing? And in what ways can we actually harness this in the way that it was meant to be harnessed and not just sort of be like this catch-all word that just means like fond feelings for, right? And so um, in Matthew 22, Jesus is encountered and um, he he is asked a question that a lot of Jewish rabbis would be asked. So let's take a look at what Jesus says here. It says, in, um, in Matthew 22, verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had, had, silenced, the sorry, had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. This is one of them, an expert in the law. And when we say the law, by the way, the law is... Um, what is often at this time would have been referred to as Torah. And so the law is what, what we would often refer to as uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. So like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the commandments are, and there are hundreds of commandments in, in what they would refer to as the law. So an expert in the law says, comes up to Jesus and, and says, tested him with this question. And, and just asking him those questions. In verse 36, it says, teacher to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And which, out of the hundreds, which one do you prioritize? If they come into conflict with each other, which one wins out? And lots and lots of rabbis at this time would have had different answers. Okay, there was a term for this. It was called the rabbi's yoke. And a rabbi's yoke would be the answer to the question, which commandment do you give the most regard to? So like, if, if commandments come into conflict, which one do you prioritize? And some rabbis would have said like, to observe the Sabbath, like to keep the Sabbath holy. Or some rabbis would have said to honor your mother and father or to not kill. Or like some, like among, among some of the more like well-known commandments. Which ones? Like in fact, I heard uh, I heard a story about a rabbi who would say like whichever whichever command you could recite well, like standing on one foot or, or something like that. Like whichever one is closest to your heart, or which whichever one you you, t- you hold in high regard, or whatever. And so lots of rabbis would have lots of different answers to this question. And so Jesus replied in verse thirty-seven. It says Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind." This is the first and greatest commandment. He's, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. But then he adds to it. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. So what is, what is Jesus' yoke as a rabbi? What is the thing that Jesus holds closest? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, or I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, that that seeing people's behavior and attitudes over the past year or so really tested my faith in humanity. And I I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, like, I I tend to hold the idea of humanity in high regard. I try really hard to to, to, to hold close to myself the idea that human beings carry with them the, the image of God. And that, that matters in some degree. But then you see a video of a woman throwing an absolute temper tantrum in, in Trader Joe's because someone asked her to wear a mask, and then you begin to think, like, oh, we're not as good as I thought we were. You know, like like maybe maybe humanity is not doing great or as great as it was. And and, and so I would have these these moments of like kind of feeling kind of low about like not just not faith in God, but faith in humanity. And and I realized what it was is I, I felt and and i realized like there like lots of people have lots of different reactions to things like fear and anxiety and um and all all the things that sort of come along with as we have learned living through a global pandemic and so what i felt though was i felt like large segments of society were behaving specifically like behaving without any regard for the well-being of their neighbors is what it felt like it felt like people were just basically like um Interested in the well-being of themselves without being interested in the well-being of their neighbors. And that may not be fair, but that's what it felt like. And, and what I realized, like really kind of it, like investigating, like where is that coming from? Where is my outrage coming from? Where is my disappointment coming from? And it was, oh, I see. It, it feels like what I'm witnessing is a profound lack of love on behalf of other people's neighbors. It, it feels like we are, we are behaving as if we are only interested in ourselves and we're not interested in keeping other people safe and healthy and okay. And so to me, it felt like we are not showing love to our neighbors and I had like this visceral, like really strong negative reaction against that feeling. And again, that may not be fair that I felt like that, but that, that was how I felt. And the thing is, when love is missing, we sense it deep in our bones, or we, we, sen- or we, we sense that it's not okay. That love is missing. We sense that something something is absent that should be present, and we know that something has gone wrong. And when Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," there's a part of us that it's like, "Yeah, that makes sense. That that should be what." Like it, it, it's almost like we don't need to be taught this. It's almost like there, there's a thing deep inside of ourselves because when we see its absence, we know it, and we we recognize like, "Oh, something is something is fundamentally flawed about a a system in which people are not interested in the well-being of their neighbors." Right, so. And Jesus is kind of pointing this out, I think. And Jesus is saying, you know that feeling deep in your bones when you sense that love is absent? Yeah, that's not okay. It's not, it's not okay the love is absent. Um, and so, in fact, look at John chapter 13. Jesus really, really wants us to prioritize this notion of love and, and concern for other people. Um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 13, verse 34, it says, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. So he says this over and over and over again. So according to Jesus, love is the signpost that points to who we are supposed to be in the world. And when, when that is absent, there is this felt absence. We, we, we sense it. We feel it deep in our bones. Look at Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, this writer Paul is articulating something similar. Um, in fact, he kind of echoes what Jesus says, but he, he even kind of shortens it. So in um, in Galatians 5, if I can find it, in Galatians 5, verse 13 um, paul writes this he says you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh rather here's how you use your freedom serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself so it's almost like jesus or paul heard what jesus had to say it's like what if we made it shorter what if we just said here here's how we fulfill the entire law and prophets by loving one another <coughs> So then um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you jump over to 1 Corinthians 13, like I said we have so much ground to cover. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul kind of unpacks what this looks like and he kind of deals with, okay, well, when we talk about love, what exactly are we describing here and what are we not describing? So in, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what referred to as the love chapter. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, "If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, i'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if i have the gift of prophecy it can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and i have have faith that can move mountains but do not have love i am nothing if i give all i possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that i may boast, but do not have love i gain nothing so what's he saying here he's saying like yeah we can have all sorts of like good spiritual ideas but the thing is if love is absent and what's the point? I'm a clanging symbol. I'm a resounding gong, is what he says. I remember a long time ago, before we even started the church, I, I ended up in a conversation with a guy. I don't even remember why we were having this conversation. But I remember this guy asked me, and this is such a boring question, and I, I'm embarrassed to even say that this guy asked me this question, um, for his sake. And the, the question he asked me was, he said, Rob, which one do you think is more important, orthodoxy or orthopraxy? Which is a dumb, okay, so, first of all, um, you always want to say there's no such thing as a dumb question, but good grief. So, um, first of all, if you don't know those words, you're fine. It's fine to not know those words. You don't need those words. But this guy really wanted to get get, get into this, this conversation. And, and what these two, these words mean, orthodoxy means right belief, and orthopraxy means right practice. And so, basically what he's asking me is, is it better to believe the right things, or is it better to do the right is what he's trying to ask me, but he's trying to use like, um, like seminary level language, and I just don't care. Like that—that's that, just that, that, the, the thing is, I'm just—I'm just not interested in that kind of conversation, and so um, I, I, I find I find that to be deeply uninteresting. But he wanted to ask, and so the uh, so my, my I think my basic answer was like, I don't know how to tell the difference between the two, um, and what I mean by that is like, I don't know I don't know how you can believe something and not behave as if you believe that thing if you really believe that thing and i don't know how you can do things that you don't believe in you know what i'm saying And i, I realize like you can't it's, that's called hypocrisy but um there's a word for that um so uh but, but what, what he wanted to know is like is it more important to believe the right things or to do the right things and my answer was like i don't i don't understand the difference like if, if i if i don't if i have all these beliefs but they don't show up in any sort of way, then what's the point? And I think that's sort of what Paul's getting at here when he talks about like, if I have all these beliefs, but there's, no, but I don't behave as if I love my neighbor as myself, then it's based I'm, I'm a, I'm a clinging symbol. So what, what exactly is the point? So what is the point of this conversation of orthodoxy versus orthopraxy? If love isn't part of the equation, if love isn't part of the equation, then I'm just banging a loud gong and it makes no difference whatsoever. So over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, we find this constant reminder that absent love for your neighbor as yourself, then we're not like whatever, like what I believe doesn't matter if if love is a part of the equation. Look at 1 John, um, this writer uh, in the book of 1 John. It's one of the shorter letters towards the back of the Bible. Um, In 1 John uh, chapter 2 uh, beginning in verse nine, this writer says this, it says, anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or a sister. And when he says brother or sister, this isn't like literal, this isn't like limited to literal like family systems. Brother or sister is how they would refer to other people within their communities. So, um, he's, he's talking about whoever hates other people. Uh, anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Hate has blinded us. And so what what's he getting at here? He's saying, like, yeah, you can, it, like, what I believe and how, like, how orthodox I am makes very little difference if, like, I carry around with me hate or fear or apathy towards other people. And then... Um, If you jump over to first john uh same same book chapter four uh looking at verse seven he writes dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god and then if you jump down to verse 19 he writes we love because he first loved us whoever claims to love god and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love god whom they have not seen anyone who has given us and he has given us this command anyone who loves god must also love their brother and sister so again if there is hate or apathy like then like how basically like how you love other people is how you love god like you can't pull those two things apart um this interesting thing happened in the in the life of the early church movement in the the first in the first century but also in subsequent centuries after that um what what they would do every once in a while because they really wanted to know, because orthodoxy versus orthopraxy was something that they actually cared about, was um, and, they, and they wanted to have those kinds of conversations. What they would do is they would get like the the best minds of their generations together, and they would call it they they would call what they referred to as a council, and they would get their councils together, and they would say, okay, we need to decide what does every if, if we are going to be like the, these groups of people who follow Jesus, we need to decide what does everybody what, what are like the baseline things that everybody has to believe in order to be a part of this movement. So basically, what, what are the core tenets of our faith? And so they would come together at, for like these councils, and they would write what, what they refer to as creeds. And for, you, in fact, you probably heard, have heard something, like the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed. And so you have these creeds that continue to exist in certain traditions. And I don't, I'm not here to play bash the creeds, or anything like that. So, but what they would do is they would, get to, they would get together, and they would write these creeds, and, and the creed was supposed to be like, okay, here are, all the things, here are the baseline things. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to, at the very least, affirm these particular ideas. And if you don't affirm these particular ideas, then we, are sus- we suspect that you are not actually part of our, like, this movement that we're a part of. So they did this several times. Like I said, the Apostles' Creed was the first one. Later on, there was the Nicene Creed. And so every once in a while, they would do this. And these creeds have lasted for like, thousands of years. Here's the thing about the creeds, though. Not one of the creeds, not one of them, mentions as a central tenet of belief in Jesus. Not one of them mentions love. That, that is wild to me, and I, I didn't even realize that. I read a book by a guy named Don McLaughlin, another Church of Christ guy, uh, called Love First, who, uh, who points this out, and he said, how in the world, and in, in, he, he has a whole chapter d- devoted to this idea, um, but basically, just how in the world is it possible that you can get the best minds, and the best theological like, like minds together in, in a room of other generation, It's been weeks and weeks and weeks hashing out what does it mean to be followers of Jesus, and the idea of love never comes up, how is that even possible? Not one of the creeds mentions this. How is it possible to spend so much time thinking and talking about and arguing about something, about what it means to be followers of Jesus, and love never comes up? If you've ever interacted with tradition, or if you've ever like looked around and seen people who carry the name of Jesus with them, and you think like, how is it possible that this person is so filled with hate and rage and apathy and indifference and fear towards other people? How is it that this person can be, or this group of people, can so deeply lack any idea of love and yet claim to be a part of the Jesus movement? And the answer is, we come from a long tradition. It, it, it is our tradition to to miss love in the midst of, the creeds missed it. So it, it's not not only is it, not rare it's it is part of our tradition to to miss how important love and i mean to look at what jesus has to say to say this is the most important thing and then to not once include it is wild. but that is that is our tradition that's the tradition we come come from we come from a long line of people who miss the point when it comes to jesus and so the question and, and and again not to just like bash other people but to just like look in look into this and ask like is it possible that we are a part of this tradition? Is it possible that we also miss this in lots of different ways? Also, by the way, just um, kind of tangent here, it's really it can be really easy to abuse the concept of love to such an extent that it doesn't actually mean anything anymore. Uh, there's a book; it's also footnoted in your notes uh, by Jeff Chu. It's called "Does Jesus Really Love Me?" And uh, Jeff Chu is gay. And um, in one of the chapters in this book, uh, he goes he goes and interviews. Um, some of the leaders from Westboro Baptist Church, which is like one of the biggest, most well-known hate groups in the country that target LGBTQIA individuals. So um, so he goes right into the belly of the beast, and he sits down with one of the leaders of this of this hate group, basically, and he says, and he, he just straight up calls them out on the carpet, and he says, listen, I, you are you are a leader of a church that claims to follow the way of Jesus, who says love your neighbor as yourself is among the most important commandments. I, as a gay man, do not feel loved by you? How, how can you square that? And the answer that the guy gives is, oh no, you don't understand. This is how we show love. How we show love is we remind people that if they don't do all the things that God wants them to do, and in their interpretation, means being gay. Uh, if, if a person, is, it, through their interpretation, it's if a person is gay, we want them to know that God hates them. And that by telling them that God hates them, we are showing them love. Okay, well, then all of a sudden this word has become like, oh, I, I see. It's not unlike the word literally, right? It has come to me in it's opposite. This word means nothing now. So so it is possible for this word to come to me in it's opposite just because, well, I can't I, – because this is, how, this is how we live with ourselves, right? Because we, we, have to, we have to find some way to sort of live inside of the hypocrisy that is like showing hate while also being part of a movement that calls us to love. Well, well hate is how we show love. What? How in the world do you even get through that? So, um, so it is possible to to use this word and basically say, like, no matter what I'm doing, that is how I show love. And so, and that is that is like I, I can I can do lots and lots of damage and call it love. Um, but here, here's the thing: take a look at Matthew seven. I think Jesus gives us some warnings about people who might attempt to do this. So, um, in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says this in verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So basically, Jesus is saying, how will you know when people are truly showing love? Well, look at the fruit of that. When when Jeff Chu sits across the street or across the table from somebody and says, I feel hated by you, that's bad fruit. Or um, it is it is possible to treat people with contempt and hatred and then to say, no, this is how we show love. That's rotten fruit. Um, if you look at how LGBTQ people have been treated in the church for as long as I can remember, for longer than I can remember. And you look at, um, like, how much damage has been done in the name of Jesus. That's bad fruit. um, If you look at suicide rates among people who identify as LGBTQ, uh, who are teenagers, and if you look at the suicide rates, you you, you might notice that the rates go up, depending on how religious, the more religious the household, the more likely a gay or trans teenager is, is to attempt suicide at least once in their adolescence the more religious the household the more dangerous it is that's bad fruit and we need to call it that so jesus is saying okay you can call love you can call anything love that you want to call it um so let's look at the fruit and let's see does it does it feel like love does it look like love does it does it actually does it um does it produce good fruit or does it produce rotten fruit? Does it actually harm people? And so Jesus is here, he's saying, um, yeah, people are going to call things good when they're not good. And how we know the difference is we look at the fruit. What is the fruit? How, how, do we, how do we know what is the result of this kind of behavior and this kind of treatment of other people? So I don't know what you call it, but he wouldn't, I don't think Jesus would call it love. So, so then the question becomes like, okay, well, then what is love? What, what, are we, what are we describing when we talk about this? So jump back over to 1 Corinthians 13. We didn't finish it. We only looked at the first few. So, like, right after Paul gets done talking about, if I don't have love, I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Right after that, he goes, if, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this. But in uh, verse 4, he writes, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Another way to say this would be love wins. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know in full, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul here completes the statement. Here's what love actually does look like. So for us, perhaps the question, for perhaps the mental exercise here is, if we were gonna complete the sentence, love is blank, what does that look like? I would argue love acts in the best interest of others. I would argue that love invites us to create space for others to more fully exist in the world. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love forgives. Love demands justice for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Love refuses to control or manipulate other people. Love refuses to fear or dehumanize uh, dip people of different races or faiths or national origins. Love is the relentless pursuit of shalom. Love cares for the earth and all of God's creation. Love is taking care of yourself. Love is laying down your weapons. You could argue that every series and every sermon that we've ever done here is an attempt to more fully understand what it means to be people who love. You could argue that this this has always been the center of the bullseye for us, and this has always been the first piece of furniture that goes back in. Um, I certainly hope it is. I feel like anytime it isn't, we we've, we've missed something. So, um, if you're in the, in the process of deconstructing and reconstructing, my hope is at the very least you find space to consider love as a, as a central tenet that goes back in. So perhaps this week, a question we can ask is, what are two or three ways that you can embody love? Where in your world is love most desperately needed? And what does it look like for you to bring love into that situation? In what ways can we bring meaning back to this word? Um, so may we be a people who fill in the blank to, to the mental exercise, love is this. Love is whatever whatever it means to bear good fruit and to bring more goodness and grace and peace and shalom into the world. That's what love looks like. And to those who perhaps have been on the business end of somebody else's lack of love and then heard that person call it love, um, my hope is that you'll find some amount of healing or shalom that you, you can perhaps take those wounds and find grace and peace where those wounds are. Um, but may we be a people who respond to this and ask the question, okay, this is what love looks like. This is what it looks like for me to carry love into the world. I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you for this invitation to be people who are represented and who are known by our love. And for those of us, for whom this has been a struggle, for those of us who who wrestle with with what it means to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, May we find peace and clarity in that. May we constantly be looking for new ways for our love to expand and grow and find new avenues of existence. And for those of us who have been harmed by the so-called love of others, by the bad fruit that has been produced, may we, may we find healing of that, and may we bring about something better. May we bring about shalom and grace and peace where those wounds once lived. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank y'all so, so much for being with us today. Um, really appreciate y'all. Always great to see everybody. Um, there are offering boxes in the back if you want to give. Grace and peace be with you.